Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary PSL. Please join student pastor Andrew Sturkin for the message, Peace of God, God of Peace. As I mentioned today, the title is The Peace of God and the God of Peace. Um, I am excited to jump into it, so let's just do it. Let's go Philippians 4, verse 4. While you're turning there, I want to talk about the presence of God. And so Philippians 4, verse 4, I believe that the presence of God is linked to the peace of God. Or to put it another way, God's peace always comes with his presence. Think back to the very beginning of the narrative, Adam and Eve are with God in his presence. He creates all things, and then it culminates on the creation of mankind. He creates man from the dust of the earth, breathes the breath of life into him, and it's awesome, and it is good that Adam and Eve are together with God. But the real awesome moment is on the seventh day when mankind is Sabbathing and resting and enjoying God's presence, his peace, his rhythm, and his shalom. Everyone say the word shalom. shalom. That's not just a super cool greeting when you enter a new door, like shalom, welcome. But shalom is actually a word, it's a Hebrew word to describe peace, and it's God's peace, and it is far more than the absence of conflict. When we think about, um, for those of you who have little kids running around, maybe you drop them off at the daycare or you drop them off at the church kids next door, right? You drop them off and that shalom comes over you, <laughs> right? The lack of chaos, but it's way more than that. The word shalom is used several different ways in the Old Testament. There's a moment when Joshua um, describes a brick as shalom because it isn't missing any edges. It's perfectly square and it's not scraped at all. He, in fact, describes a wall as shalom because it's perfect, it's not missing any bricks, and it's even, it's a good wall. Uh, Job describes his flock as shalom because none of his flock is missing. It's all working in rhythm. It's all working as it's designed to in peace, in shalom. Even, even Solomon, when he completed the temple, he shalomed it as a verb because it was complete and whole. And God desires that we live in his shalom, in his presence, and in his peace. But we know how the story goes. Adam and Eve were in that presence, walking with God. They sinned, and that shalom was fractured, that peace was broken. They're driven out of the garden, but not out of Eden yet. The next chapter, you have Cain and Abel, and then Cain kills his brother. We learned about this last week. He kills his brother, and they're driven now from the garden, Eden, and now to Nod, Cain's now out of the picture, further from the peace of God, further from the presence of God. The next chapter, the people build this giant tower defiantly saying, we're gonna get to God on our own terms, and God scatters them now, not just from the garden, not just from the area, but from his presence altogether, and they're scattered across the globe. The next chapter, the Nephilim come, we learned about that a couple weeks ago, and it's a barbaric, weird story, and God is grieved to the core with mankind, so he floods the world to try to destroy the evil in the world. But God does not give up on humanity, praise God. He continues on, he chooses Noah, and he uses Noah to bring his presence to the world. He appears to Abraham, giving his presence to the world. And eventually he comes with his people Israel, and he comes in the form of the fire and the cloud, and he walks through the water until they get to the tabernacle when God's presence comes to rest amongst his people. God's whole goal is to be among them. Emmanuel, God is with us. And so in the temple, in the tabernacle, and finally in the person of Jesus, God wants to bring his presence among us, and wherever his presence is, his peace comes also. 
But I'll be honest, I would love to stand here and say that the peace of God has ruled my heart in such a great way that I never struggle with worry or anxiety or panic. I'd love to say that I'm totally inept from that and I'm beyond that, but it's not true. When I was just a kid, I struggled with anxiety and worry. Uh, my parents, my dad's a pastor, and so my parents would leave for mission trips quite often and they'd go out of the country for weeks at a time. And at one point, my teacher walked over to me as I was writing over and over again on a piece of paper, I will not be afraid, I will not be afraid, I will not be afraid. My teacher was like, what in the world is going on with this kid? She comes over panicked and I'm like, my parents are out of the country. But I think of the worst case scenario, like they're gonna die in the car crash or, or whatever, like I don't know what's gonna happen, panic. It culminated for me when I was in college and I actually started to panic about school and money and girls and grades and work to the point where I actually developed a stomach ulcer and I couldn't eat anything but yogurt for like three weeks. I'm not kidding. And, and I struggled with panic until I heard this passage preached well in Philippians 4 and it talks about the peace of God surpassing all understanding. Um, but I believe that we need to hear about the peace of God. I think that in the audience right now, there's one of two kinds of people. There's people who, honestly, they don't worry that much, they, they feel pretty sound and balanced, but the chaos of life will certainly hit you at moments when you don't expect it, and in those moments, you're gonna struggle with anxiety and worry and worst case scenarios. The other group of us are people who are the overthinkers, the people who think, I'm a little bit out of it, I'm gonna have some more coffee, and now you're just panicked with more caffeine, <laughs> and you're freaking out, and there's those kinds of people who really struggle and so I wanna jump in today and look at God's word because it speaks to how we can experience God's peace and God's presence. Philippians 4, verse four. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. You know what? The wise pastors pray before they start, so let's pray. Let's ask God to speak. Lord, we love you, and we ask that you would speak. I pray that every word that I say will be of you, and I ask that those who have ears to hear today, they'll listen and be changed. I pray that um, we will be eager to hear what your word has to say and that you will move. Lord, we are expectant for you to show up right now. Um, and so please move in my heart as well as everyone's hearts that are here. We ask this in the mighty and powerful name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, Philippians 4, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord. Oh, my word, you're the most awake, but that was the worst. Come on. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord. Always. Always. Again, I say, rejoice. Yeah. And if you're sitting here and you're reading this and you're like being honest with me, you're probably like, Paul, you don't know what I'm dealing with. Okay, rejoice always. Rejoice even when the bank account goes negative. Rejoice even when life feels uncontrollable. Rejoice even when my kids are acting up. Rejoice always. But it goes on. Verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. You might be like, man, I don't have a reasonable brain cell left in my head right now. You're telling me to be reasonable always to everyone? Well, here's why. The Lord is at hand. In the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a great moment when Mr. Beaver is talking to the four kids and he said, Aslan is on the move. And he talks about this giant lion who's gonna come back and save the day. Well. That lion is obviously a picture of our Messiah, Jesus, and he said the Lord is at hand. God is near. That's how we can have a reasonable rejoicing. But then he goes on, do not be anxious about anything. And maybe you're here and you're like, you know what, Paul, I appreciate the sentiment, but there's a lot to be anxious about. 
Um, and you might be thinking, maybe Paul has no idea what I'm going through. Well, I feel like of all people in the Bible, Paul does know what you're going through. I mean, the guy was shipwrecked, beat up, spit upon, mocked for the name of Christ. And in this moment, he's writing from a first century Roman prison, which is probably not very good. And he's saying rejoice always and be anxious for nothing. And so there's something really dynamic here. And we're gonna jump in in just a minute and read and study through the rest of this passage. But first, I wanna give a couple of disclaimers. And so if you do me a favor and turn over to Matthew chapter six, verse 25, keep a finger in Philippians four or a piece of gum or a bookmark or something. And then we'll jump back over to Philippians four in a second. Matthew 6, 25. But three disclaimers. First of all, I believe that anxiety can be something that is physical. I believe it can be something to do with idolatry and I think it can do with the fellowship and closeness with God. I think those three different areas can deal with anxiety. So in turn, first of all, I think that anxiety and all those things that come with it can be physical. And by that, I'm saying, I'm not a doctor. And that much should be obvious, right? But I do know a lot of great Christian psychologists and doctors who do say that you can have a chemical imbalance in your brain. The church has taught this, and, and I think that too many people reject the idea of medication. You can have a broken arm, you can have an autoimmune disease, and you can have a chemical imbalance in the brain where you need serotonin and dopamine and you can't produce feelings that make you feel at peace or happy. And so there's definitely something there. However, I do think we over-medicate and we should focus rather on some natural ways that we can feel better, like working out. Where's my CrossFit people at? Are you here? A couple of y'all? See, <laughs> maybe not. CrossFit people can't help but talk about it. That's why they're CrossFit people, right? It's like vegans, where are you at, vegans? There's none of them here because they have to shout about it whenever they're there. But for real, um, working out is helpful, right? It produces those awesome chemicals to make you feel good. Mankind is not meant to sit in a cubicle for eight hours a day and then go home and binge watch Netflix. You need to work out, you need to sweat out toxins, you need to feel good, your body was made to do that. And so, I mean, so many young guys today, they're like struggling in school. No, they're just wild. And you need to like unleash them, you know what I'm saying? They're not made to sit in a class, like get out there and, and, and do something awesome. And so, that's a tangent. But, but I would say that working out is really healthy, going to bed on time, waking up at the same time every day, super, super, super important. A lot of clinical psychologists who are Christians will say, first question in the, in the therapy session, when do you wake up? When do you go to bed? Oh, well, every day it changes. Well, you're, you're throwing your whole system out of whack. So wake up and go to bed at the same time. Make lists, organize your life. That'll help with creating control. Um, eating enough protein and fat in your diet is really, really, really important. And so there's a whole list of things you can do to help with your physical body, be it medication or just physical stuff, because God created them. And the mind and the body are linked with the soul, right? What, what affects the spirit affects the body. What affects the body will inevitably affect the spirit as well. They are one. And so I'd say, first of all, it's physical, but second of all, it can lead to, um, or stem from something in the, like the likes of idolatry. So you with me in Matthew chapter six? Perfect, Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Man, Pastor Mike has you all trained so well. I'm like, are you there? And you're like, amen. <laughs> I'm like, yes. Here we go, Matthew chapter six, verse 25. Jesus is in the middle of his one, one of his most famous sermons. He's preaching on a mountaintop and his disciples are there and there are birds and flowers and nature. It is not in an air-conditioned room. It's out in the open and he's teaching the crowds. And here we pick up in the middle of his sermon, verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? The answer is yes it is. 
Look at the birds of the air. Can you imagine them flittering along above them? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That's rhetorical. You are more valuable than them. He goes on, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and our heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Let's pause there. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Jesus is very plainly saying, God knows about your needs. He knows about your needs more than you do, and he wants to provide those needs. It's a very encouraging passage. But what we leave off is the next verse, and he says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What's the priority? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Look at chapter six, verse 19. Turn the page over to your left, one page. Matthew six, verse 19. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Skip down to 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now remember, the original manuscripts did not have red letters, they didn't have numbers, they didn't have chapter headings, it was just the Gospel of Matthew. And so right after Jesus says very clearly, don't worship two masters, you can't worship two masters, don't make money the priority, don't make comfort or security the priority, then he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Interesting. He, he makes this very clear connection between what we make our Lord in our life and what the implications of that being. If you seek first the kingdom of God, then you have no reason to be experiencing anxiety and anxiousness in your life. But when you make money, the almighty dollar, your priority, all of a sudden you start to experience anxiety. You know why? Because money was never made to satisfy your soul. It's never supposed to give you confidence for tomorrow. You know why? Because money's gonna come and go just like the grass and just like the birds but God wants to provide all of those needs. And maybe you're here and you're trusting in, in comforts. You're trusting in a political election. Maybe you're trusting in, you fill in the blank. Guess what? Those things will not satisfy, so seek first the kingdom of God. You track with me? And that will lead to experiencing the lack of anxiety in your life. And so number one, it can be physical. Number two, it can be an issue of idolatry. But now let's jump back into Philippians chapter four, verse four, and we're gonna look at how this actually can be stemming as well from an issue of fellowship. And this is where we're gonna camp out. But first, let's look at verse, excuse me, verse nine. Philippians chapter four, verse nine. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, 
and the God of peace will be with you. Here's a sermon title today. Eight practices to have reasonable rejoicing in the face of anxiety. So if you're taking notes, write this down. It's eight practices to have reasonable rejoicing in the face of anxiety. If you're not taking notes, pull out your phone or a piece of paper and pen and take notes and write down eight practices to have reasonable rejoicing in the face of anxiety. I heard a message on Philippians 4 and it transformed my life. That's why I preach it passionately. That's why I encourage you to pay attention because this is really, really, really good. Verse four says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Your rejoicing should be reasonable even in the face of anxiety. Verse six, do not be anxious about anything. Step number one is this, very simply, recognize that I'm worrying and replace the worry with this practice. Recognize that I'm worrying and replace it with this practice. Now this seems obvious, right? Not so when you're worrying. Maybe you're like me and you don't realize that you were panicking until after you're done panicking. You're like, I felt so off, I feel out of it. And then you're like, oh, I was worrying about money or I was worrying about the kids, I was worrying about whatever. You realize it afterwards. And so the first step is to say, I'm worrying and I'm acknowledging that, but now I'm gonna replace it with this practice. Now, how helpful is it when you're worrying for someone to say to you, just stop worrying? Zero is the answer. How helpful is it? Zero. But Paul says just that, do not be anxious. And so you're gonna replace it instead with this practice. Number one, be aware that you are and stop it. Number two, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. But in everything by prayer and supplication, here we go. Number two is to pray and ask God to help you to stop worrying. We like to try to attack the issue and sometimes the first step is to say, God, I need you to miraculously help me to stop panicking right now, to stop worrying so I can think clearly. And so pray and ask God to help you to stop worrying. Now, why is this so important? Modern secular psychology today will help you change your attitude, will help you have a different perspective and think differently about the world. And while there might be value in that, when we pray to God, he steps in and reacts. A lot of us view God in a two-dimensional, platonic way, where God exists out there as some being, like a rock or the number four or an idea, but God is personal and God is active. And when you cry out, his father heart is moved when his kids cry out to him. And so my encouragement to you would be to cry out to God, help me to stop worrying, I'm worrying. When Jesus talks about prayer, he talks about a little kid who's asking his dad for, for a meal, and the dad's like, oh yeah, here kid, have a snake. And he's like, no, 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 no. Even, even the worst dads know how to take care of their kids. And so, so your father's gonna give you the Holy Spirit when you need him, and so my, my encouragement would be to you to, to stop worrying, but then to ask God to help take that worry away. By the way, this is why it's so important when we do go to therapists that they're Christians. Because they'll have a biblical worldview and they'll understand that this is a spiritual issue as well as a moral and a physical. And there's a disconnect between the author of peace himself. And that's why it's so important to have a good biblical Christian psychologist. But we go on. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The next step is this. Spend time in thanksgiving. I know what you're thinking. Pastor Andrew, this is so obvious. Is it? Is it obvious in the moment when you're panicking that you wanna just praise God for how awesome he is? Probably not, but you know what happens when we praise God? It builds and bolsters our faith. 
You know how you can be more faithful and have more faith in God? Look at his faithfulness in your past. Look and say, this is where God has taken me and this is where I'm headed because I trust that he will do and finish what he started in my life. And you wanna have boldness in your faith? Look backwards. And so what are the things that we can be thankful for? I would say number one, be thankful for the big things. God, thank you for my family, friends, oxygen, food on the table, this house, but also the little things. I'm a night owl, which is why I go to the 11.30 service. And as I, um, as I lay in bed at night, I tend to overthink and overanalyze and fight people that I fought throughout the day again. And so I'm like, man, I really should have said that little zinger in that moment. That would have, been, that would have got him, you know? And I'm, anybody like me? And you like replay these conversations, you're doing that? Well, I'm thinking through these things at night and I'm like, no, I'm worrying. I start going through the practice. Lord, help me to stop worrying. I'm acknowledging it, replacing it. I'm going through things that I'm thankful for. And you know what happens? I put my hands out and I touch my soft bed sheets. Lord, thank you for soft bed sheets, the small things. Lord, thank you for air conditioning in Florida. Lord, thank you for clean water. Lord, thank you for my dogs. Start listing off things that you are thankful for, big things and little things, because every good and perfect gift is from above. But also, thank God for the God things. God, thank you that you are huge. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are patient. Thank you for, for Jesus choosing to die for me. Thank you for the fact that I'm guaranteed a place on the new earth and the new heavens with the Father forever. Those kind of things are gonna bolster your faith and it's gonna empower you. And I'm not saying that your problem's gonna go away, but when you put the big God next to a problem, it makes it feel a little bit smaller, doesn't it? It starts to shrink it a little bit. So I would encourage you that next step would be to be thankful. With thanksgiving, finally let your requests be made known to God. Ask God for what you need and be specific. This is our next point. Be specific about what you need from God. A lot of us, again, generalize, Lord, please bless me, help me, help me, da, 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 da. No, Lord, I need help tomorrow for my 9.30 a.m. final exam. Please help me to do well. Now, is that a good prayer? Is it okay to ask God to help you pass the exam? As long as you study, <laughs> right? Ask God for what you need. Pray according to his will. But he loves to bless his kids. He just has maybe a bigger plan for you, so maybe his no's are not yet, some maybes and laters. But trust him and pray like crazy. Cry out because it stirs the heart of God. Let your requests be made known to God. Verse seven, and probably the most powerful verse in this whole passage, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna say it again. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your beating heart and your racing mind in Christ Jesus. Okay, couple things. Okay, first, expect God's supernatural peace. Expect it. Christians are to live lives of verbs, and expectation is a verb. God promises, I will give you my supernatural peace that's gonna guard your hearts and minds, and we ought to live expectant that he will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When God says, I'm gonna give you a promise, we better believe it, amen? We need to follow him and say, I'm gonna expect what you are giving to me. And so when he says, when you do these things, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, what's cool about this phrase, will rule over, is clearly, it's, a, it's, it's bigger than, it, it's, it surpasses, it's beyond our understanding. 
And that doesn't mean that it's illogical, it just means it's beyond your comprehension. I had a professor in my undergrad named Dr. Sauer, and he was from the South, and so he had this really great, crisp Southern accent. And uh, he taught Greek, so all the Greek students that left were speaking a Southern version of Greek. It was awesome. And so he was teaching, and, and one day I, I said, hey, can I meet with you privately? My philosophy professor was really messing my brain up. Christian philosophy, and I was still getting thrown for a loop, okay? It, it's really important to be grounded in the word of God. But I'm, uh, I'm, I'm asking, like, hey, so if humans are so, like, like, tiny and God's so huge, then how could we possibly know what God's trying to communicate to us? And he's trying to explain how this mass of God can be understood by humans. And it's basically because God condescends to our level to explain who he is. And do you doubt God's ability to explain who he is? And I was like, oh, wow. But he's explaining it to me. And he said this beautiful metaphor I'm never gonna forget. He said, Andrew, God is like the Pacific Ocean. You take your coffee cup and you can go out and you can scoop it up and you can fill it up. And you can say, I have in my mug the Pacific Ocean. And while that's true, look how much you don't have. And, and that's what it's like to know that the supernatural peace of God can rule over your hearts. It will not make sense, so stop trying to make it logical. See, for me, I do this thing where I'm like, um, I'm struggling with this one person. Believe it or not, I have interpersonal issues. I'm very opinionated. And so I might have an issue with one person, and then um, I would have to trick myself. I'd be like, okay, there's billions of people on the planet, why do I care what one person thinks? Would that really resolve it? No, because that's trying to use logic to try to get out of my issue. No, it's a supernatural piece of God. It's miraculous. It won't make sense, and we should expect it. Now, what does it do? It guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The word guard is clearly a military term. Think a Roman legion guarding an emissary. Nothing is getting through. He says it's gonna guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so expect God's supernatural peace that's gonna guard your racing mind and your beating heart. But it continues on. Keep reading with me in verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's quite a list. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Think about these things. And I think what Paul's getting at is that our intake will certainly affect our fellowship with God. Our intake will affect our fellowship with God. True. Our news station's generally true. <laughs> we spend all of our time watching the news and trying to look at different media. Are those things True, or, or maybe you're believing lies about yourself when you look in the mirror, you doubt your own value. Are you believing things that are true to reality or not? Are you dwelling on things that are lies? We tell ourselves a lot of lies. Whatever is honorable. Do you, do you think about and talk about and do things that are honorable? Whatever is just and pure. Do you laugh at the pure jokes or the impure jokes? You sit here and think, you know, I'm an adult. I can watch what I wanna watch. Well, not exactly. Christ Jesus paid a price for you, therefore honor God with your body. Maybe the stuff you watch isn't appropriate. Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Men struggle watching things that are lovely. You know why it feels effeminate? <laughs> they wanna watch stuff that's masculine, right? Well, I would say get over your insecurity. The Bible says think about things that are lovely. Um, I'm throwing Pastor Matt under the bus on this one. Uh, that guy confided in me earlier that he listens and watches 
a certain TV channel in the Christmas season, the Hallmark Channel, <laughs> and while he watches that lovely, lovely series, a little bit of sweat comes out of the corner of his eye, <laughs> and he appreciates things that are lovely. Men, women, we need to appreciate things that are lovely and beautiful, because God says appreciate things. Get out in nature, think on things that are lovely and beautiful. Whatever is commendable, can you recommend your intake to your father-in-law? Right? <laughs> Interesting. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I think that your intake greatly affects it. Who you hang out with, the TV that you watch, and I love media, don't get me wrong, I'm not a media hater, but the songs you listen to, the music that you listen to, the TV that you watch, the friends you have, they certainly affect you. And it affects your fellowship with God. Now, I like a good thriller movie, but the people who watch the really disgusting, horror, um, demonic, creepy, creepy, creepy stuff, and they watch pornography, and they drink Red Bull all the time, it's no wonder they feel anxious, right? They're like, why am I panicking all the time? When you're watching people get slaughtered on TV. Are you kidding me right now? This is garbage. Maybe the things that you watch and do should submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe those things would then produce more peace in your life. This is a no-brainer, but Paul has to include the list because we need it. By the way, if you want more of a list, Psalms 1 says this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight, his joy, his passion is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night, nonstop. The things you meditate and think on affect your soul. They affect your soul. And by the way, I wanna make something super, 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 super clear. Your relationship with God will never change. If you're a Christian, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are sold, no one can grab you out of the Father's hand, you are with God forever. But your fellowship can come and go. That's the intimate relationship that you feel on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, why can it come and go? Because we come and go. God doesn't move, but we come and we go in relationship with him and that intimacy, that's on us. That's on our intake, that's on our behavior, that's on how we pursue him, but he does not change. Maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, honestly, my intake is not holy and I've been living the whole, I'm an adult life and I need to submit to the one that knows my heart best. I would encourage you, Repent, repent, that means change your mind, change your direction, think differently and come back to God. He's not moved, you have, and he's gonna welcome you with open arms. The prodigal son is a beautiful illustration of that. God's not chasing you down, trying to punch you out, he's beckoning you back. So come back to him, come back to fellowship with God. Now what does that produce? We read on. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Practice these things. Our next point is very simple. Practice steps one through six. Practice steps one through six. What happens if you get to the end of the sixth one and you start the seventh step, which is to practice the previous six, and you're like, I don't feel God's presence. I tried it, Pastor Andrew. I called out for help. Let's show the list. I cried out for help and said, God, I'm worrying. I've asked you to help me stop worrying. I've spent time in Thanksgiving. I've asked for the specific thing I'm worrying about. I've expected your peace. I'm dwelling on the right things now. Where are you? What do you do? You toss your Bible aside, go to the drink. 
you do it again. Every athlete practices to get in shape to perform. Christians need to get a little bit more moxie, a little bit more fire in our gut and say, I'm gonna wait until you show up. (laughs) Jeremiah 29 has a powerful story about the people of God when they were sinning. God said, I'm gonna send you into exile for 70 years, but I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. And then he says this, you will seek me if you find me. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. With all of your heart. Some of y'all are are wimps when it comes to pursuing the Lord. I love you enough to tell you that. And you gotta sit in your car and say, God, I'm not moving until I experience your presence. I'm done with my idolatry of stuff and money and I wanna pursue you and I need your presence and I feel anxious, but you are the solution. So help me, so help me, so help me. And practice these things things again and again and again. Let's read it one more time though, verse nine. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Question, what's the difference between the end of verse nine and the beginning of verse seven? Look at your Bibles. The end of verse nine and the beginning of verse seven. One says the God of peace will be with you. Verse seven says the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. What's the difference? Verse seven is God saying, hey, you need some peace? Here you go, here's my peace. Here's my shalom. Here's my, here's my peace for you. Verse nine says, and the God of peace will be with you. His very presence will be with you. Expect God's peaceful presence. We know that the presence of God comes with the peace of God. The peace of God comes with his presence. Where God is, there is shalom. Come back into fellowship with him to experience that shalom. Now, I'm gonna be honest with y'all. 2020 has been hard on a lot of people. We have some turbulent weeks ahead. We've had some turbulent months behind questions of money, of jobs, of security. It's been very painful for a lot of people. And my family is not exempt from that either. And I feel like, be very careful, I don't wanna sensationalize or make it a big deal, but I wanna be real with you too. My wife and I have struggled as well in this time. We've been praying for years to have a kid. And then in March, we found out that she was pregnant and we lost the baby. And then the next month, the same thing happened. And then the next one was ectopic, meaning it was in her her tubes, and that was very dangerous. And we've experienced uh, hardship after hardship after hardship. So pray with us. But we're at this point right now where it's like like the in-between, you know? Um, Christians, we like to have a complete story. We like to hear the person got saved, or the person was healed, or Johnny repented, or whatever. But we usually don't have the, the moment of completion. And right now, um, I'm in the in-between. And, uh, and one moment, um, specifically, I was in my garage, and for those of you that have gone through challenges and pain, it hits you, and you know it's out of nowhere, it just, just hits you. And um, I was coming in, and I just started weeping. And I cried out to God, and um, started practicing this list. And I'm telling you, I experienced the presence of God in my life like never before. Um, it felt like, um, 
as close to a non-physical hug that you can have. And even though my pain was very, very real, I knew that he was with me. And it made it a little more bearable to know that God is with me. And so everybody here, whether you're going through it right now or not, God is with you. And, and some of y'all have moved away from his presence. Come back to your father. Come back to your dad. He just wants to be near you. And, and honestly, anxiety, this is gonna sound weird, it can be a gift because it signifies that you're not following something that satisfies. God's gonna say, you're gonna go your own way, that's gonna hurt you. And, and here's, here's the consequence of it. It can actually be a wake-up call to say, I'm gonna come back to my Father because he can provide all my needs and he's gonna satisfy. So the kingdom of God is first. And again, I don't say that to sensationalize, but everybody here has struggled and everyone has pain. But the hope of the presence of God is the hope of the universe. Some people are here today and you never experienced that presence of God or peace of God because you aren't what the Bible calls saved. In the Old Testament, they had to have a sacrifice to get into the presence of God. In the New Testament, there has to be a sacrifice to get in the presence of God. His name is Jesus. And he became a sacrifice to have access to God's very presence, the Holy of Holies. And now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit corporately. God is among us. And I wanna encourage you that if you do not know Jesus personally, do not wait a second. Going to church has nothing to do with your Christianity. Become a follower of Jesus today, and I'd love to talk to you about what that means. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be in a relationship with God. Maybe you're here and, and you're actually step one and you just need to take some notes and go work out, maybe see a doctor and get some stuff figured out. That'd be great. Or maybe you're here and you struggle with idolatry and trusting in the almighty dollar or stuff or comfort or materials to satisfy your soul, and you need to repent today. You need to come back to God and say, you know what, thank you for allowing me to feel anxious apart from you. I want you to be my king, and you need to make him the Lord. You can't have two lords, you have one. But finally, there could be people in this room who've been struggling or paralyzed by fear or anxiety, and you need to come to God and give him a chance to say, I wanna experience your peaceful presence. I'm gonna have hope that you're gonna provide for me, and I wanna go through these steps and give it a real shot. And today you're gonna to commit to trusting in God and having your faith bolstered a little bit more than what it was.